The Keyboard Chronicles is proudly supported by Elk Electronic in Australia. Elk Electronic provides high quality service and repair of synthesizers and keyboards and also aims to encourage community interaction and learning through meetups and workshops. Find us on Facebook and Instagram or check out elkelectronic.com.au for more about us. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Welcome to episode 39 of the Keyboard Chronicles, a podcast for keyboard players of the gigging variety. I'm your host, David Holloway, and it's great as always to be here with you. And it's also brilliant to have Paul Bindig here with me. How are you, Paul? I'm great. Thanks, David. Good. Uh, Another big um, show, this one. um, I quite often say this is a bucket list moment, but um, just from a pure sentimental viewpoint, and I'm interested in what your first purchase was as a teenager, Paul. My very first original album I bought on cassette was Prince's Purple Rain. What was yours? Mine was In Excess of the Swing, but we've nice. already spoken to oh, Andrew Ferris. We have. Well, there you go. So we've closed a loop uh, here because um, one of the key personnel on Prince's Purple Rain uh, was Lisa Coleman, uh, obviously as a keyboard player. Uh, Also, as a vocalist, uh, she sings on the album and she also speaks on the album, if you know the album well and you know exactly the song I'm talking about. Um, It's an amazing album and so it's an absolute privilege to have Lisa on the show. And not only do we talk about, obviously, the Revolution Days, but also a lot about uh, Lisa's work in soundtracks uh, and also uh, her wonderful solo album and much, much more, including a train wreck anecdote that I quite love. So we hope you enjoyed as much as we had fun making it. Lisa, can't thank you enough for joining us. And, um, you know, it's a lovely Friday night, so I'm not sure this is how you want to spend your, your Friday evening, but we appreciate it. Um, what could be better? I mean, talking about myself. <laughs> That's right. That's, no, um, no, no, no. No, we can't thank you enough. So, I mean, Lisa, I know you're LA born and bred, um, and we ask each of our guests over the last 12 months how, how things have been treating them since, obviously, the COVID pandemic. So how has the past 12 mm-hmm. to 18 months been treating you? Oh, well, it's, you know, I mean, it's horrible. Um, it's been treating me personally not too bad I mean um, I I was working on um, scoring a show when the pandemic sort of exploded and um, Wendy and I worked together Mm. and um, we had to uh, work from home um, both from our separate homes and we were like emailing cues back and forth and you know just we didn't really have proper studios at home, but we did the best we could with what we had and, and we're able to finish off that, that season. Um, so that was really quite an adventure, you know, all of a sudden just having to leave the studio and satellite. 
Yeah, that's, and that's a really interesting point, Lisa. And um, we are going to cover your soundtrack work in depth later, but it probably is worth asking now. So you you actually did work side by side um, on the cues and, and so on, which makes sense, but that's how you used to do it. Yeah, yep, that's right. Me and Wendy um, do all our scoring work together. Really, for the most part, I, I, I've done like one thing without her. Um, but yeah, we, we, we work side by side and, you know, it's great, usually. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. Any creative partnership has its tension. So now I look, so I look forward to covering that later because that's we we do we um, talk to a lot of guests who do pretty much a lot of their soundtrack stuff uh, remotely. So it's it's actually great to hear a, um, a a pair that are actually working side by side with all the positives and challenges that brings. Um, oh yeah. Lisa, you're a lifetime LA resident. Can you share with our listeners a little bit about your upbringing and and what got you into music? Oh well, yeah, I'm actually born born in Hollywood on Sunset Boulevard, the the hospital that was on Sunset Boulevard, and wow. I always think that that's funny, yeah, because it's so Hollywood, and you know, and I grew up around. Hollywood things and Hollywood people and uh-huh. my father was a musician or is is a musician he's still with us and um, and he would take me to the studio with him um, when I was a kid so I got to see everything from like um, he took me to a, a Wrigley's gum commercial you know like just <laughs> yeah. and that was one thing you know and then he took me to a Jackson Five session, and oh. that was like amazing. And um, the the Jacksons weren't there, but it was all studio musicians, and Barry Gordy was there, and you know, it, and I was just like, I think I was twelve, and and it, it just, I don't know, I just knew that that's what I would end up doing. That this was just going to be my life too, you know? And, um, yeah. Yeah. So, and funny enough, you know, I didn't really get my big break until I moved to Minneapolis. (laughs) (laughs) So all that LA, you know, being hooked up or anything like that didn't mean anything. No, that's funny. And, and so, cause I mean, you mentioned being in a Jackson five session there, um, at age 12 and then sort of 19 was when things really started to hit big for you. So those years between sort of 12 and 19, what, what allowed you to develop your musical chops? What, you know, what was it about keyboards or pianos that, that really appealed to you in those years? Oh, wow. Well, the piano, I mean, I, I, as soon as I could reach the keys, I, I started pounding on the piano. So that was always, um, just what I was drawn to. But um, also speaking of my dad um, and my dog, sorry about that. That's okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, My dad actually bought an ARP 2600 in 1970 or 71. Cool. And um, my dad bought the ARP 2600 from Tom Oberheim, who was working as a sales rep for ARP. (laughs) Yeah, so he actually came to our house with the ARP, 
and like sort of walked my dad through it. And, and then they became friends and he would come over every once in a while. And, and he wasn't Tom Oberheim yet, you know, <laughs> Yeah. but, uh, but, um, he was representing ARP. So it was just really cool to me. And I remember the ARP sort of freaked me out. Um, so I would argue, Lisa, that your Tom Oberheim story is one of the coolest p- uh, keyboard gear um, anecdotes out of all our episodes so far. And you, you, you're still only a teenager. I think you've done well. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. It's incredible. And, you know, and by the time I turned 19 and I joined Prince's band, and like one of the first keyboards that he pointed me towards was an Oberheim. <laughs> And, yes. and it just, you know, everything just like kind of clicked with me. And like, this is so insane. I'm playing, you know, one of the early Oberheims and, um, you know, just thinking of, of Tom coming to the house. And, you know, I had to write him a letter in a few years into the gig and just tell him, you know, that I, how much I appreciated him and, how excited I was to be playing his keyboard. So, Lisa, going from, you know, Tom Oberheim coming to your door, who's still going strong at 85, I'm pleased to say, um, to, yeah. um, that, again, those pre-Prince bands, how, how did you work up your chops? You obviously had to have made an impression to be, be joining, a, you know, a big band what, to, in what became the revolution. So, you know, what, what was your learning experiences to get to that, that initial level? Oh, but I was classically trained all my life. I, I started lessons when I was five, and and I just took lessons um, really up until right before I joined the band. So the the funny thing is that he heard me play um, Mozart. I think okay. was what impressed him the most. <laughs> and yeah, little you know, it was like, oh, she plays Mozart. You know, should be funky. It didn't really make sense, but <laughs> but luckily, I found I had the funk bone in me. You obviously did, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> so, Lisa, the story of how you came to join Prince's band. Are you able to share that with our listeners? Oh, sure. Sure. It um it was just a friend of mine, um, because we I, I was in LA, so I was in import. Um when he was looking for a female keyboard player. Mm-hmm. Um, my friend Nikki worked at his management company and she thought of me immediately and she called me and said, you know, do you know this guy Prince? And and I actually didn't. And yeah. So she sent me his album and I listened to it and I was like that that would be fun. And it was presented to me as if it would just be two months, a road gig, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's it. <laughs> you know, little did I know that it would just change my life forever. And uh, I was in the band for the next, better part of the next 10 years. Yeah. So, um, yeah, my dog wants to chime in. What am I forgetting? Nothing. Oh, right. 
So the, it, he's hitting a nice note each time, though, Lisa. It's good. I know. <laughs> kind of a little bit of a tubing thing, like kind of a chord. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And so, I mean, obviously, the, once you, you're in the band, um, Lisa, um, from the outside, and this is easy for anyone on the outside to say, look, it looked to be to one of those outfits that – you know, was at least in the league of, say, you know, James Brown's JBs, just super tight, super good musicians, and, you know, what I imagine also to be one of the most driven band leaders in the history of modern music. So, mm-hmm. you know, in, yeah. the, in the live context, what are the standout memories for you as far as, you know, the rehearsal process? And, and I, I, I totally get I don't, We don't need to go through, you know, Prince's band leader and, you know, his, his approach because I think that's well documented, but just how you found it as a keyboard player adjusting to his approach and, and how you got um, value out of it as a musician throughout those years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually really liked his approach because it, it was, I was used to that sort of practice, you know, it, his discipline was, was great. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was a lot like being, you know, just practicing your piano it, and, I came from being dedicated and practicing and, you know, sweating and laying on the floor and, you know, trying it again and again and, and that sort of thing. So when I got there, you know, I didn't know what to expect, but, you know, joining a band, I didn't know what that was like, even though I had my own bands growing up. And, and so I, I was prepared somewhat. Um, this was unlike anything else. Um, just the vibe immediately I could tell that this guy was really serious about what he wanted to do and um and I thought that was great I was like okay let's let's work it you know and as a keyboard player I really appreciated that that amount of rehearsal and you know it really gave you a a chance to coordinate you know your hands because there were all these different parts Mm. and if if one hand wasn't doing something and Prince caught you, he would say, you know, what are you doing with your left hand? (laughs) You know, he really wanted, you know, just fill it up. If you just doubled what you're doing with the right hand or, or, you know, come up with a string part or, or whatever, you know, and, and, uh, so it was a great way to, you know, choreograph your body, you know, switching sounds. And I mean, in those days, you know, with early samplers and things like that, you'd have to time putting in a little floppy disk or, you know, loading a sound before the Mm -hmm. song started and things like that. So you really needed that time to work those things out. What was the uh, division of duties like between having, like, you know, more than one keyboard player in the band? How how was that determined? Who was doing what parts and which bits and who was loading the floppy disks and these sort of things? Yeah. Oh, well, we were both very self-sufficient with our floppy disks and stuff. Um, (laughs) So we were doing it ourselves. And in the beginning, um, Dr. Fink handled most of the piano and um, synth solos. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because I was the new girl and, and I think also because I was a girl, there was some sort of like, can she solo? And, you know, or, or it doesn't matter. She should just be the girl in the band and look like a girl. Yeah. <laughs> and, 
and act like a girl. So, you know, I had to go through that kind of hazing for the first couple of years until I was taken seriously by the whole band. Yeah, right. Um, and yeah. yeah, and so, and I mean, and some people may not realize this, but I think keyboard players as a broad, uh, broad cohort do that. I mean, the revolution was a very keyboard driven band and obviously the key albums around the world today, Purple Rain, um, 1999 that, you know, um, that you're also involved with as well. They are incredibly keyboard driven songs. So, I mean, it's not as if you were sitting there in the background, Lisa, you know, as one of two keyboard players. What you were doing was pivotal. And was that apparent to you at the time? Or it did feel like you were just quite rightly one of, you know, six, seven people working towards one thing? Oh, yeah. I, I really felt just part of a machine. Mm. Um, it isn't. It wasn't until, like, recently that I realised how keyboard-driven it was and how those sounds were so recognizable and, and and Prince was interesting because he wasn't afraid of a preset, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. he was just, you know, it was like, okay. And it, I mean, you're using an Oberheim and that was new anyway. And so just use a one and, you know, there you go. There's yeah. <laughs> and, but he knew how to use it. And, and between, between Matt and I, Dr. Fink, um, you know, we understood what he was going for and, and we just got used to, you know, filter, you know, <laughs> filter sweeps and, you know, just making the sounds even brighter, you know, so that they'd cut. And, um, but I don't know. I mean, the whole band was such a machine it really was just like being part of it. I mean, yeah, yeah. The, you know, the bass was just as important as the hi-hat, you know. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And from a keyboard player's perspective, um, Lisa, obviously you'd worked in the studio for at least two or three of the albums that essentially it was about translating uh, what you'd already worked through in the studio as far as sounds into the live context or, or did you all tend to take a different approach you know, obviously Prince is the band leader, but did you take a different approach of working up different sounds or or slightly different sounds to work better in the live context? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, the studio sounds well. You could be more subtle in a studio, yeah, and give you know give things space, you know. But that kind of space is really different live. You know, you, you can't really be, you have to really, you know, play to the back row sort of, as they say. And, um, and so, uh, Matt and I, Dr. Fink, sorry, I keep calling him Matt because he's my buddy, Matt. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's but, cool. You know, <laughs> but we would, um, practice together and, and divvy up the parts. And then, you know, like, um, a song like 1999, the, the main riff, you know, it, you could play it on organ and it would sound like the record, but you have to add like a layer of strings and then, and and then might as well layer it with a horn sound because it's live and it's got to be huge. And, you know, and then maybe play a high octave on the piano too. And, you know, so then you have your four hands playing as many layers as possible. 
And that was just the way, that's how we did everything. It was just, what are you playing? And, you know, let me enhance that or add a string pad or, you know, that's right. try to make the keyboards really cool. Yeah. So getting that really big sound between the two of you. And what, what, what's what's funny too, um, Lisa, is that Paul and I were talking before we called in to you today that, and, and it's funny you mentioned about presets and prints not being, um, you know, averse to them is obviously um, Paul and I have keyboards where some of those, including the 1999 sound, is now presets on current keyboards. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, and, it's... Um, I was just yeah, going to say, Lisa, it's, it's it's amazing for me because uh, yes, I've I've got a, one of my keyboards has a preset called 1999, and it, it's that that riff you just sang to us, and then I can go on YouTube and I can see you playing it in the video clip, and it's yeah, it's just a really cool thing, and it just shows you the the really pivotal role that that you had and and in creating the uh, the, the modern soundscapes that we that we refer to now. Wow. <laughs> that's amazing and and it's hard to you know conceptualize that in, inside it's just and, and I mean just and just one one last question around this era um, Lisa is that obviously the revolution sort of reformed um, sort of I think it's uh, 2016 or 17 so that's still an ongoing concern and obviously post pandemic you're planning on doing some more shows Um. Yeah, I mean, we want to, but but we also want to do it in a cool way. We, yeah. we don't. It's, we're not interested in being like a tribute no, band or no. something like that. So, you know, I mean, when we did it, um, after after Prince died, it made sense. You know, it we were grieving, and we you know had yeah. felt like everybody wanted to conjure him and you know deal with the loss. So it made sense to do that, but now it's a little bit tricky. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? So yeah, we're, we're thinking about it and just trying to think of how we could do it in a nice way. That's right. And I mean, I mean, a lot of you, yeah. I assume, well, obviously yourself, but I assume a lot of the, the members are, are, are continually writing themselves. And I suppose that's another tricky question is, do you do original stuff when that wasn't the original intention of the band. So you're right, it is a tricky sort of issue, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Because we, we were coming up with, you know, cool jams and things during sound checks while we were doing these gigs and we were like, do we record these and yeah. put it out or, you know, or is that like, does that seem grubby? And That's the thing, it's weird. hard. Yeah. So we're still thinking. Yeah, right. We'll you know. I think it would be positive. We never did make it to Australia. I was actually going yeah. to ask you that. Yeah, so you just so said, yeah, okay. It, it would be well, well received down excuse. here. Yeah, that, that's yeah. a great excuse to come down here, Lisa, and there are a lot of Prince fans down here and Revolution fans down here, I can assure you of that. So it would definitely be a an opportunity, I think, for you. Well, that would be pretty cool. <laughs> I wanted to Spend talk money. to you. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> we'll send a care package to get you down here, Lisa. Yeah, there you go. I wanted to ask you about your very long-time collaboration with 
with Wendy Melvoin, who I believe was a childhood friend, and you were bandmates in, in the revolution together, but have had a, a very long collaboration since then as Wendy and Lisa, but, but even going on to this day, writing writing music for, for film and TV together. I'm really interested in how that's evolved over over time and how you work together and what's kept it so strong over such a long extended period of time. Yeah, it's uh, even I'm thinking it's pretty amazing as I get older and um, and we're still going strong. I, I mean, I I think it's because. I love her as a player. Mm-hmm. I love the way she plays guitar. I love her ears, you know, and I love what she likes about my playing and it makes me play better. Yeah. You know, it's great to have somebody like that in your life that sort of, you know, and Prince was that for me as well. Mm. But, you know, certain people live in your head, you know, and when you create and you play, you sort of are, they're sort of there watching and listening and you you're pleasing them even if they're ghosts you know it's it's i don't know if you guys play and do that too but it's a, it's like a spirit thing mm-hmm. and um and so wendy and i connect on that level and just we're we're like fans of each other so as 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 well as just being really good friends, you know, and growing up together and then being a couple and then, to, you know, we've been through so much. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's just, we can work shorthand now. It's like, you know, I, I'll sit down and play a string passage and she'll look at me and say, you can do better. <laughs> 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 or, you know, or she'll say that was great. Keep that, and let me add a guitar thing. I hear a guitar part, and then I do the same thing for her. So, um, it's it's quite dreamy. It's it's a good way to work, and especially for composers, you know, on TV and films, it's a lonely job. You know, you're usually by yourself, and you know, just checking in with the director or the producers like once a week or something like that. And the rest of the time you're just in a vacuum wondering if what you're doing is going to work. Yeah. Well, I actually actually wanted to ask you a bit about working on uh, as composers together. And I'm thinking about, I know you've done quite a lot of TV work together and, and very successfully too. In terms of awards, but but I my understanding would be that this, the schedule of writing for a TV show would be fairly intense. How does that how does that yeah. work in terms of you? You know, I guess as you said, sitting side by side and inspiring each other. Uh, how, how do you between the two of you as professional composers make that all happen? And you, you hit the schedules and deadlines you need to hit. hit? Oh, well, sometimes it's been so intense that we've actually split into two rooms. Right. And worked on the same show. You know, you do real three, I'll do real four. And, you know, gotcha. um, and we have to do it that way. But, um, yeah, it's the, the TV schedule, schedule especially is, is always really intense. And you have like, you know, three days to do 45 minutes or something like that. And, wow. you know, it's, um, and so even more the, you know, better 
to have a partner. <laughs> yeah. There's so much work. Of course. Yeah. And um, what what have you over that time, Lisa? As far as I mean, as as you know, compared to playing live, doing um, uh, soundtrack and background music work is an incredibly different beast. What 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 chops from your live and studio days helped you in this respect? But also, what what were the big learning curves for you in this area? Oh wow, great question. Um, you know what's really funny is. Um, Watching, being in, you know, again, it's so funny that I keep bringing Prince up, but um, doing live shows with Prince, you have to keep your eyes on him the yeah. whole time because he'd give you uh-huh. cues and he'd, you know, do things that he'd want us to embellish, you know, if he did something or, you know, flicked his hip and Bobby hit a cymbal, he would be like, yay, Bobby, you know, or if he slid to the microphone and I did a slide on the keyboard, he'd be like, yay, Lisa. So in a way, that's what I do when I'm scoring a scene. I just watch the scene go by and I, you know, play whatever the character is doing. Uh You know, it's sort of um, like being another actor or something you have to kind of understand what the scene is doing and then you know support the actor and give them a symbol on the one if you know <laughs> um that's a really good but, point yeah it's a really good point that because no one's made that link before but you're right particularly when you've played in a band like that that is or you know there is a there's some choreography there, but also a huge amount of improvisation. So you, you've just got to be on your toes, like you do when you're doing soundtracks. Exactly, because yeah, doing the score is all improvisa- improvisation, and um, yeah, you just have to be in tune with it, and you know, and if if you if you don't have to look at your hands, that's a plus. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <'Cause you> just, <laughs> <laughs> so practice staring straight ahead and don't look at your fingers. Uh, you know, my piano teacher used to make me practice with my eyes closed, and I guess that may have helped me a lot too. Wow! Mm. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. You know, it's crazy stuff, but I did it. <laughs> my teachers were weird. You know, <laughs> close my eyes. <laughs> It paid off, though. It definitely paid off. Um, and just as it a, totally paid off. And just as an aside to our listeners, um, uh, in 2019, I believe it was, um, there was the um, album Originals released, um, showing a lot of those demos and 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 workups um, of some songs that Prince handed on to other artists. Um, but one of them, well, it was more covered by Sinead O'Connor. That nothing compares to you. There's a brilliant video that goes alongside that. And Lisa, I don't believe you're in it, but please correct me if I'm wrong. But there's some just wonderful five minutes of footage of the revolution in rehearsal with Prince as a background to that song, and it is just amazing to watch. Oh wow! I haven't seen that. Yeah, so so I don't I, have I, any idea. I, I could see Doctor Fink. It was it was it was a long. It was panned from a long way away, and, and it didn't show the whole band. So I'm guessing you were there, just not in the shot of this one camera. But it is amazing to see right. a, a, an elite band at work in rehearsal. It's just 
um, yeah, it, it's well worth a look. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. Because, I mean, there must be a lot of video, because uh, we used to tape rehearsals every day. Oh, there you go. That's probably where that's come from yeah. then. Yeah, yeah. Cause it, and it was definitely sort of a 1984 rehearsal, I believe. So that's why I knew that if you'd, you know, you would have been there. But anyway, it's yeah, well worth a check out. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, I um, have to check it out. And let's go from one extreme to the other, um, Lisa, which is uh, your <laughs> solo piano album from a couple of years back, Collage. So I'm going to give you the funny dog story, then be serious after that. So um, I had a we had a lovely new puppy come into our lives three years ago and had trouble sleeping, and I had to find what I considered some beautiful music to help um, keep um, our puppy calm. And, and this album was one of uh, three or four albums that was on our playlist every single night to create a calm <laughs> household, and rightfully so. So this is a beautiful album again for our list, listeners' um, collage. So if we can just probably kick off, Lisa, with what, what <laughs> finally inspired you to do a piano solo album? Um, well, funny enough, it was an interview, much like this one, okay. that I was scheduled to do. And prior to the interview, um, they asked if I had any new music to play, you know, and I lied and I said, yes. And, <laughs> and then I realized, uh-oh, I better put something together. <laughs> And so it came together out of a lie. And I <laughs> I just, you know, I was like, I might as well, you know, it's really time. I've had these piano pieces sitting around. You know, I had just done a couple more in, improvs. And, and I was thinking, you know, that's what I'll do. I'll just put these together. And, it'll, you know, I have enough that could make, you know, an album. And um, it was also really timely in terms of it was right after touring with the revolution. And I sort of needed to get in touch as silly as that sounds, but with myself mm. again mm -hmm. and, you know, go back to my roots, which is the piano and, um, and so it felt really good to, to just concentrate on that and um, honor myself as a piano player because it's really my first love and I, and I never made a solo record and people would encourage me to do that and I just never got around to doing it. Um, you know, I've been busy, thankfully. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, I, I it was great to put this out, and we did it here from home. You know, I just took a bunch of collages and drawings that I did, and made the artwork, and we put it out and filled the orders, and I signed them, and we did the shipping. It was all like from home. So it was yeah, really cool. That's very cool. I'm I'm glad you said. Lisa, that it was inspired in part by you wanting to get back in touch with yourself because in my notes, I, to me as a listener, I wrote that it, it sounds introspective but, mm -hmm. but also very accessible. 
So for our listeners, it's it's very easy to get into. It, the the piano sound is is beautiful, the playing is is wonderful, and Lisa, from my perspective, you're really letting the piano speak, and we can we can hear what it's saying, and it it really gives the album a certain emotional weight. So it's it's, it's a lovely listen for our listeners. Definitely worth checking out. I'm curious to ask you. To me, listening, it felt almost, in a way like a concept album in the sense that when you, when you listen to it from start to finish it really works well as almost like movements of one whole piece is, is that uh, am i going mad or is that a, a deliberately part of the process when you're writing it um you may be going mad i, I don't <laughs> know you that well <laughs> but you sound very stable um, <laughs> Uh, I would say that the the sequencing was very important to me, and it just kind of worked out when I looked at all the pieces and said, you know, this is where they should go. Um, and it's you know it's a relatively short record. It's I think it's thirty three minutes. So you know, and. Um, and so, yes, it was important to me that the sequencing was very important to me that it could be something you could sit down and listen to and, and have a, a little journey, you know. And so it ends with sort of, I think, some white noise or something that will just kind of blend you back into real space, mm. you know, wherever you are. So um, thank you. Very very nice of you to say all those nice things. No, oh, our pleasure. Yeah, very, very well deserved praise. And um, you know, anything else bubbling away in the back of your mind, Lisa, as far as a follow up? Yes, I've been, and especially because of COVID, and been forced into kind of sprucing up my home studio. I've been recording again more piano things and. So I might be up to um, shipping and receiving again. <laughs> that's that's right. Yes. Excellent. No, that's great. And just um, before we jump on to the next question, I, I just wanted to point out that yourself and another iconic artist that started off um, in the 80s have, the, I would argue, the two most beautiful piano solo albums is yours. And um, Howard Jones has actually released two piano solo albums and these would be at least 10 years old now but they're just stunning pieces of work so yeah just wanted to throw that in there as well that for mostly for our listeners um howard jones's piano solos volume one and two and and lisa's collage that's a hell of a trio of great piano albums right there amazing listening yeah Um, wow sounds good and so um uh, let's talk a little bit about gear. And not, I promise not too much, Lisa, but just um, obviously we talked about presets and iconic sounds and so on. Uh, and I've seen interviews where you obviously have a form of a home studio. What, what's your go-to gear now that, that you use, obviously with soundtracks and so on predominantly? Yeah. Well, so much of it is in the computer now too. Yeah. Um, um, so, you know, Spectrasonics is outstanding and um and i use a lot of their stuff and um of course uh native instruments you got to have your contact player you got to you know you got to have your abbey road drums 
and you got to have your kinetic toys and and your all your um, able to uh, not able to um, Albion strings. Yeah. You know what else? But I, you know, what I do have, which is really cool at home, is I got the reissue of the Prophet Ten. Oh, nice! And it's cool. Yeah. Oh, it's so nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's a monster. I love it. It's yeah. So I have that. I'm yeah. I'm hogging it at home. I'm not bringing it to the studio. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> now, that's a beautiful piece just, of gear. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And have you ever been tempted so, to get an ARP 2600 back or one of the recreations? Has that ever been a sentimental well, temptation? I still, I have my father's. Oh, there you go. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, I had to have some work done on it because it was sitting for a long time. He he kept it. And because um, he's a bit of an electronic music composer himself. So he, he was using it for a long time. Um, so yeah, I, I love that. It's fun. That's amazing. <laughs> and um, obviously, aside from your long-term collaboration uh, with Wendy, there's obviously you've done a massive amount of collaborations with different artists, from Joni Mitchell um, through to Cheryl Crow. <laughs> um, and one, just because we're biased, um, Lisa, being down in Australia, we we tend to claim New Zealand's Neil Finn as our own, but even though he is New Zealander. <laughs> So just a little bit of a recollection on what it was like working with Neil, who I'd argue is, you know, a world-class, you know, well-respected artist. Just interested how, how that was for you. Oh, it was fantastic. I love Neil Finn. Um, and it was so opposite musically, not opposite, but just more, you know, where with Prince and the revolution, we could just sit and play in E forever, just, yeah. okay, E, go. <laughs> um, Neil Finn is like a different chord every beat, you know. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. You know, oh, 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 oh. So you have to really, like, you know, you have to concentrate. So it took me a minute to, to bring those skills back and like, oh, yeah, chord changes. That'll be interesting. <laughs> but it was, it was great. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, take a listen to some of his songs. It's like, it's kind of remarkable, his chorus. It is, yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a beautiful songwriter, no, no question, no question at all. Oh, such a good songwriter, yeah. With your really extensive background, so playing, um, you know, in, in bands as, as a teenager and then in, into the, a really high-profile act, such as the revolution, and then the, the the Wendy and Lisa collaboration, and then now the the work you're you're doing in in various soundtracks plus your own solo work. It's a really vast library of experience, and I'd love to know what are, what would be some key lessons that you would pass on to other keyboard players that you can share that things you've learned. Wow. Um. Well, practicing with your eyes closed is yeah. actually there you go. <laughs> it actually makes great sense, and it'll free you up. Um, I don't know. I've I've learned so much, and I've I've been so lucky. Um, and I would say, really get to know yourself as a player, and and 
I think improvisation is really important. Mm-hmm. And I know coming from the classical world, that's kind of anathema. It's sort of, you know, why would I improvise when I can play the greatest music ever written? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they, they sort of look down on it. And and then other people just simply can't do it because it's it's just so foreign. Yeah. Um, but if you really, you know, just if you if you know your keyboard, just know your keyboard and um, know your scales or whatever, you know, and that's all in your hands. Just get that stuff in your hands and then know yourself as as a person and and play what makes you happy. Yep, great. That's what I do. Mm. That's what it's about. And speaking of playing what makes you uh, you happy, Lisa, are there any other artists that are on your bucket list that you'd love to work with down the track or other projects you're passionate about developing in the future? <sighs> oh. See, I'm constantly thinking things until somebody asks me and I can't think of that's anything. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. That's a normal approach. I know. So my, the, you know, ballpark answer is, yeah, I would, I, uh, there's probably a handful of people I'd love to collaborate with, but I can't think of them No, right that's now. okay. Not a problem. And um, <clears throat> just based on Paul's question about your huge experience to date and, you know, what's likely to be a much longer and, and incredibly successful career to come is, do you feel like you have a book in you one day? Do you feel like you want to get your experiences down on paper and actually, um, you know, talk about what what you've learnt and and what's going into the future and so on. Is that is that ever been a prompt for you? Um, I think lately it's starting to kind of dawn on me that, especially from the outside looking in, it's like I've had a very interesting life. Mm. I just. Uh, but I don't know if I have enough, um, I don't know, like, I don't know if I'm as interesting as my life is. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I would need to tell lots of good stories and not just be a cool person. No, you know no, what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's right. And I think that is a challenge with any biography or autobiography, um, and that's what people are interested in is the stories. And I mean, one of, and I'll probably throw to this now, one of our regular questions to guests is what's your most memorable train wreck on stage? So where things went absolutely not right. Um, and they're the sort of stories people love hearing about. So just, I mean, just for interest, is there an awful on stage train wreck? Doesn't matter who with or what it was that stands out for you. Oh, sure. There's a couple of them that were really good. Um, something, I know that I know what I'll tell you guys. Um, well, I was sick on the road once with Prince, and um, you know I was like throwing, literally throwing yeah. up in a bucket on stage. Oh dear! And um, so we were playing Controversy, and yeah. the Lord's Prayer comes up, and we're all doing the Lord's Prayer, and I was just so spaced out that I did a horn punch in the middle (laughs) 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 
I don't even know why. I said one of the lines, and then I just went, bam! <laughs> 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 and, 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 and I was like, what did I just do? I <laughs> It was just, I don't know. It was just so weird. And, and in the quietness of the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> that is brilliant. And, yeah. Was, was the horn punch at least in the correct key? It was in the right key, yes. Oh, there you absolutely. Go. Yeah. <laughs> So maybe it was art. That's I don't right. know. It was art. He said it was important to improvise. So it was just improvisation. That's right. There you go. <laughs> it's my guardian angel. <laughs> so, and, and what's coming up for you in the next year or so, um, Lisa? What, what, what have you got planned, aside from obviously your incredibly busy um, composing career? Yeah, um, I've got a, like three shows coming up so that'll keep me busy um but um i really do want to work on um a solo album and or another wendy and lisa album because we have been writing quite a lot right we just haven't been focused at you know at at a concept or anything like that but we've got a lot of material now that we can go back and look at and and maybe release some of it. Oh, that's so that, that's what I would like to do. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I'd like to go to Australia for a vacation. I, I think it's time for a GoFundMe to be set up. I think the oh, people happily do it. <laughs> yes. Come yeah, on. Help yeah. me out. <laughs> yeah, come on. Dig deep everyone. Let's let's get let's get Lisa to Australia. Yeah. I, I would I would argue you um, performing your actual solo album at the opera house would be a treat. As, well, a, as a side gig. Oh my god! Let, yes. <laughs> wow. No, no what pressure, Lisa. No it. pressure. It's, it's fine. <laughs> That's insane. Woo. Lisa, we we are just about uh, coming to to the end of our time together, but we love to ask all our guests a question about if. Well, we ask if you could tag a keyboard player, which basically means that if if there were someone who who, who you would love to hear interviewed, maybe a, someone that you've always admired, a fellow keyboard player, someone you've been a fan of, that you would love to hear us interview on this show. Oh, well, most of them have passed away. That's the thing. And we're, we're happy with dead suggestions you know? as well, just for interest. But yeah, it makes it harder for us. It makes it yes, harder yes. for us, but happy for you to mention those that have departed. Well, I mean, two of my tops would be Zanawano yeah. and Bill Evans. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, those would both be really good interviews. Yeah, great picks, great picks. Make it happen. Yeah, all right. That, that'll get you to... Will you <laughs> promise to come to Australia if I get an interview with either of those? <laughs> Yes, <laughs> you've got a deal. That's right. Um, and, and then la last question for the road, Lisa, and I know your darling dog will, will be um, distressed if we keep you much longer. <laughs> so Desert Island is five albums that have totally inspired you that you maybe you could live without them, but, you know, would need, still need to take to a desert island if you had no other choices. Okay. The, the three, the very first three albums that I owned in my life were, are, were still, were, I mean, <laughs> made me sort of who I am. Um, Stevie Wonder's Talking Book. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Joni Mitchell Blue. 
Wow, wonderful. Yeah. And um, Lazar Berman playing Liszt B minor sonata. Brilliant. And then I would add, <laughs> I would add a dog whistle. <laughs> I would add. <laughs> I would add like any like fly in the family stone record. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and um and maybe a um a simple matter matter of conviction, Bill Evans. Lovely. And just as a, a very brief supplementary question, you mentioned Jody Mitchell Blue and I know you collaborated. I haven't actually heard the story, so I apologise, but it must have been surreal to have had that as an influential album. And I believe you played Pictionary with her? Yes. Yes, you heard that. Yeah, I, I haven't yes, heard the I'm story, actually... but I just know that you had, yeah. Yeah, we were working um, in the same studio, sort of in different rooms. And um, that's sort of why we ended up singing on her record. She asked us to come over and do some background vocals. And we, and at first we didn't believe her. We thought it was just like, oh, it's just studio talk. Everybody does that, you know, <laughs> just come and play on my record. And so we kind of didn't show up and she got really upset and that's like one of the worst memories of my life. <laughs> I I upset Joni Mitchell, <laughs> but she gave us a little talking to and said, told us that she was serious, and so yes. we got right to business. And so, was that <laughs> in what was a pretty surreal environment anyway? Was that something that felt a bit surreal on its own to you? Absolutely. Mm. I mean, and I I still. I mean, Wendy and I are going to play Scrabble with Joni next week. We we still oh, know amazing. her, and yeah. but it's like it's new every time for me. I'm like a dog. I'm like every time I see her, it's like ah, it's Joni Mitchell. <laughs> you know, it's like I am a dog. That's and it's new every time. <laughs> that's a great way to finish off. And and can I say for for some of us, Lisa. Um, seeing you playing solo at the Opera House would be the, the equivalent experience for us. So you never know. If we, 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 <laughs> Definitely. If we can score that Bill Evans interview, we look forward to having that same surreal moment ourselves. <laughs> but no, yeah, that, that'll be us. Okay. Yeah. We'll be, that's Lisa that's Carmen awesome. at the Opera House. Right. Yes, yes. Um, but, yeah, we can't thank you enough for taking the time, Lisa. It's been an absolute pleasure. And obviously with your career we could spend – 14 hours going through um, more specific stuff, but appreciate the time you have taken and um, look forward to hearing um, what's to come next. I know we're very excited. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure. So there we have it. What a pleasure it was. And a huge shout out to um, Lisa's dog as well. <laughs> yes, uh, interjected into the conversation, but but that's okay. Dogs need their they time do. to speak as well. No, it was wonderful, and um, yeah, Lisa was a fountain of knowledge, and just again, I, I know we do say it all the time, but she's an artist. I would love to have you know spent ten hours or fourteen hours, as, as I think I said in the interview, just going through the the real specifics of some of the great experiences she's had. But unfortunately, we never have that time. But she was a wonderful, wonderful guest, and and was very generous. Yeah, she sure was. I don't know about you, David, but I know as a young teen when I first started watching those video clips of, of 
Prince and the Revolution, I used to look at that band and I used to go, these are the coolest people. They're so cool. They're so good. They're, they're sexy. They're chic. And now that I've had a chance to speak to Lisa, I my opinion has not changed. She was very, very cool. Yeah. And, and just one of those cohort of bands, I mean, I mentioned James Brown's JB's, um, you know, whether it's Weather Report or Chuck Berry's band or whatever, you knew that when you're in that band, you had to be top-notch, and the only way you would survive in that band is if you were top-notch, and she certainly met that in spades. No doubt. So, yes, thanks, everyone, for, for listening, and we'll be back again in the next few weeks. Um, but just a reminder, you can keep in touch via a few means. Our website is www.keyboardchronicles.com. Uh, we're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash keyboard chronicles and on Twitter at the keyboard chr1. Uh, and if you like good old fashioned email, then do drop us a line at editor at keyboardchronicles.com. Now, Paul, we have our uh, many valued patrons, but again, I want to give a special shout out to Greg at. Oh, Greg at the Chrome user group on Facebook. Yeah. So, um, Greg, love your work um, and appreciate your ongoing sponsorship. Um, if you'd like to become an official supporter, and we don't have to mention you, um, if you prefer not to, you can be nice and anonymous. We'll still take your money, but um, <laughs> Greg, we very much appreciate. So we do have a Patreon account where for the price of a coffee a month, you can help us go from strength to strength, and that's at patreon.com forward slash keyboard chronicles. And just as a further aside, the first bonus content has gone to patrons um, and there'll be another set of bonus content coming in the next couple of months. Uh, and one of the other cool things is we do try and give sneak previews to people on upcoming guests and where, where notice allows, we even um, love the opportunity of you putting forward the questions you'd like uh, asked. So yeah, um, do consider that if you can. Paul, huge thank you again for joining me this episode. Oh, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. And uh, most importantly to all of you out there, thanks for listening and we hope to see you again back here for episode 40.